I'm Heather. And I'm Derek. And this is Let's Talk Outdoors. Heather, today I'm excited. We're chatting with uh, Chris Clark. Um, Chris is... I've known Chris for a while now, I think, Chris. Uh, he's yes, been a mentor of mine. Uh, he was actually instrumental in getting me started in outdoors as a as a young human. And uh, I taught with him in my first year teaching in, a, in Saskatoon in a program called Let's Lead Naganatan, um, which uh, he and another teacher, Jillian Strange, started. And uh, now he's working at U of S. He's working on his PhD in the world of outdoor learning. Chris, welcome to Let's Talk well, Outdoors. Thank you very much. I'm looking forward to chatting with you guys. Not Wait like we don't chat anyway all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Did we miss anything in that intro? Was that okay? Uh, that, that works just fine. It's perfect. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Exactly. Before we get too much into outdoor <laughs> education, um, can you share with us a bit about maybe like experiences that you've had as an outdoor educator or what kind of led you down the path into the world of this PhD work you're working on? Well, basically, and uh, the whole idea of, and I, and I prefer to refer to it as outdoor learning. Okay. Um, for and, and I don't know if we'll get into it, but basically, yeah. there's. I mean, semantics. We can, can be, get into it. <laughs> yeah, because semantics can be really important, and I find that in outdoor learning, outdoor education, adventure education, blah 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 blah, it can even be more important because so much of it, um, especially to someone who is unsure or inexperienced in doing and going outdoors at all with their students, mm-hmm. the semantics or the language that's used can basically be a barrier. Right. I mean, like so much of the, the journal of experience, like so much of the research even is, is adventure education. Like it's really interesting as I do my research um, and do lit reviews and look up other articles and stuff like that. You know, like quite often some of the research is based on, oh, we went on a 45 day camping trip, canoe trip, backpack. I'm like, uh, OK, that's yeah. great. But, you know, I'm talking to grade one teachers who want to take their kids outside and yeah. <laughs> talking about a 45 day backpacking trip is not relevant at all. Yeah. And when you use terms like adventure education or, you know, even in place-based or land-based or environmental or whatever you're using, mm-hmm. it can scare them off, right? Or push them away or make them think that that's out of the realm of possibility for me and my students. So and from so, your so from your perspective, what would be the difference between outdoor education and outdoor learning then? Well, I mean, really, outdoor education is something that you do to somebody. And outdoor learning is something that you're participating in, right? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, again, it's the age-old joke that I tell all the time with, when I'm teaching, you know, undergraduate students because we talk about teaching and we talk about learning and it's, it's a joke about, you know, the two dudes that are walking down the street and one's walking his dog. And the one that's walking his dog said, yeah, I taught my dog French the other day. And the other guy's like, wow, that's awesome. Let's hear him say something. Oh, I didn't say he learned any. <laughs> I mean, we can teach all we want. Yeah. We can educate all we want, but is someone learning? Mm -hmm. And so I like to sort of focus and turn the focus on to outdoor learning. So it basically encompasses the holistic experience of we're going outside to learn. And maybe we're going to learn about the outside. Maybe we're going to learn about math. Maybe we're going to learn about English. Maybe we're going to learn about physical activity. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe we're going to participate and we're going to participate in all these things. But the goal is to learn something. I had never heard anyone like talk about the semantics of outdoor education or place-based learning or place-based education. And I feel that myself, like I change the language I use all the time because Mm -hmm. I hadn't ever really thought about what it means or, or how it's being perceived by other people. 
But um, you and Derek are talking like you're old colleagues, you're all old <laughs> friends, and, and I know that you both know a lot about each other, but our listeners and me, because I'm just meeting you, Chris, right. uh, we, don't, we don't know, I guess, your background or what brought you down this path to, um, to pursuing your PhD, if that's the language that I can use for that. Um, yep, yeah, and, pursuing, and so, yeah, I like, pursuing, I like that. Yes? I'm, I'm okay. on the hunt, I'm on the hunt. <laughs> and, and I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, basically, um, I have been a outdoor educator since who? I, uh, I think Grant Devine was the premier. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, for a very long time. And I've I basically as a brand new teacher, you know, it was I can still remember and actually Derek was I think in grade six or seven uh, at Silverwood Heights, when basically it was like, I we there was a bunch of us young teachers coming to that school. And I said, I want an outdoor ed club. I want, I want to go outdoors. I want to do these things outdoors, whatever else. And it was funny at the time because the principal was like, well, I'm not sure, you know, that's a, I mean, he was supportive of outdoor education, but he was concerned about, you know, that's a lot of resources for a small group of people. And then a bunch of other things happened, whatever else. And he's, as, as he's looking at me across the staff room table, he's like, okay, I guess you're going to be able to do that. And I'm like, yes, yes, I will. And we just did it, right? I mean, basically, in conversations with another fellow teacher that at the time, he's a principal in our system now, as I was presenting to his staff, he was talking about, you know, we didn't know that this was good pedagogy. We just knew it was enjoyable and the kids seemed to learn and it was something that we liked doing. And it turned out that it was great pedagogy. Mm-hmm. And it turned out that there was lots of research and lots of supportive evidence that said that this this had all sorts of positive impacts academically, behavior-wise, relationship-wise, and all those sorts of things. And we were just doing it because we were outdoors kind of people, right? It's just we felt better outdoors, and we know our kids felt better outdoors. And so we did that at the, at the beginning, and we had success, and we just kept doing it. And at, luckily for us, as beginning teachers, we didn't experience anyone really slamming doors in our face. Mm-hmm. Our system was relatively supportive of it. Our administration was relatively supportive of it. I mean, there were some crotchety old teachers who were kind of like, ah, but then, then there were other crotchety old teachers who were like, yeah, you know, you young guys who have lots of enthusiasm, this is, and in fact, I remember one of them, uh, a gentleman, he would, he was awesome. I mean, he would, he would poke us with new ideas just to see if we would do it, right? And he was like, oh yeah, you know, back <laughs> 20 years ago, we did this. Oh, that's a great idea. Let's go do that. Yeah. He was like, ha, 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 ha. You could just see him chuckling off in the corner as we would go off and do all these things. Mm-hmm. But, uh, and it's just, over the years, um, there was all sorts of programs that were created in our Saskatoon School Division, and I ended up being at an inner city school. And the things that really appeal to people and appeal to students, outdoor education-wise, you know, experiential education-wise, hands-on learning, active learning, uh, all those things, well, it, it works in spades with kids that are challenged and have barriers in front of them. And so I was doing it even more and more as an inner city teacher. And then Jillian Strange and I, we looked at this and basically created Let's Lead Nikonaton, which was a program for grade eights that was specifically dedicated to taking at-risk or at-risk of being at-risk students and primarily taking them outdoors, hands-on learning, experiential learning, all those sorts of things, and experience great success with them, um, experience great attendance, behavior, academic um, I mean, so many of them continued through high school. So many of them, I mean, it's interesting because from a, we, we quite often get asked for stats and we would get asked for, so what statistics do you have and graduation rates and whatever else? And we're like, well, I mean, to be honest, some of our kids drop out still, right? But what's 
what's awesome about it, and I keep in contact with almost all of them through, I mean, that's the beauty of Facebook and social media. And it's, it's awesome how many of them still to this day will contact me to let me know that they're, they're finishing their GED or they just got one more class to finish. They, they, mm-hmm. they're, they're powered down to just, they want to finish these things. They, you know, through all the experiences they had, even if it's 10 years later, right. They're still focused on maybe. And again, you know, it's, we, we treat, we treat education like it's a race as compared to it's a marathon, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's no, there's no real finish line. And so these kids are still working away at it at Mitt Washington. Say kids, they're adults, they're adults mm-hmm. and they have yeah. families and they, and they're, but they're still persisting in these things and they, and they attribute it to the experiences they had primarily most of them outdoors, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then from then I did my master's in engagement and with a focus on the program. But then over the years, it's been, okay, I'm getting to the end of my career, although who knows what that actually looks like. <laughs> and I've, I've seen the power over and over again of when I work with younger teachers and I just open the door for them a little bit, right? I mean, I'm, I'm not doing anything fantastic or amazing or whatever else. All I'm doing is essentially giving them permission to take their kids outdoors. You know, I'm the crotchety old teacher now. And as a crotchety <laughs> old teacher, I spend most of my time going, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I mean, it was yeah. funny because I just had a conversation last week with a young teacher who had only been teaching for five years and he was going on 90 miles an hour and how great this was and this is what he's going to do. And, and what do I think? And I'm like, yeah, awesome. Do it. <laughs> and he's like, and you know, and just, and that was the whole conversation. He was, he's like, oh, this is so awesome. You're helping me so much. I'm like, all I'm doing is going, yeah, awesome. <laughs> do it. And yeah. so I kind of looked at it and said, that's, that's my end goal for mm-hmm. me now. It's like, what can I do to support anybody and everybody? to understand and to really take on even little bits and pieces and to have them help them understand really what outdoor learning looks like Mm -hmm. to help them understand that outdoor learning is a big, broad topic. It's a big open tent. You don't have to be doing a 45 day canoe. You don't have to do an overnight trip for it to be outdoor learning going in. You don't have to leave your school grounds for it to be outdoor learning. You can do outdoor learning in your school grounds every single day or even once a week, whatever else. And you are still going to reap the affordances and the benefits and the impacts and the rewards of going outdoors. I think uh, you talked about uh, there's a lot of things that we could launch on from there. But I think one thing you talked about was just like having that opportunity to do talking to people getting into it. And I think that's that's a huge benefit of just having a, a few connections to people who have been involved in outdoor learning as someone who might be new to it just to bounce ideas off or like, am I crazy or can I do this? Or, Mm -hmm. um, what do I have to think about if I'm going to take my class outside? Are there any things I know, you know, any like checklists? So, you know, like people, it's nice to be able to have somebody that they can, that you could connect with just to ask questions of, even if all they say is yes, that's not terrible. idea, Right. And, And quite often it ends up being more often than not, it's more me just, um, empowering and empowering other people and giving, I mean, it's, it's funny how quite often we as teachers, we almost need permission, right? Mm -hmm. Especially if what we're doing is different than what everybody else is doing. And so, I mean, it's, it's sort of the age old thing that if I'm doing the same thing that everybody else is doing and it's not working, it's not my fault. At least I look like everybody else. Right. But if I'm doing something that's different or radically different, and it doesn't work perfectly the first time, then it is my fault, right? And that's, that's, that's the perception we have. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the trap that we fall into. 
um, experienced teachers, beginning teachers, like teachers of all stripes and ages and whatever else. It's very, it's a very easy hole to fall into. And it helps to have, per, I mean, lack of better ways to put it, someone like me who doesn't care, doesn't <laughs> care what I look like, you know, I mean, we'll just go for it. And if it fails miserably, woohoo, it helps to have that push. I mean, it was really funny because, I mean, a few years ago, um, I went to a new school and there was younger teachers there. Um, and basically, they're actually part of the group that Derek and I work with. And it was awesome. I mean, they were both very avid, out, personally, outdoors people. They, they did lots of camping and lots of tenting on their own with their own families and their own, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, et cetera. But they had never taken students. And so in the fall, I took one of them camping with me in their class, camping with my class. And in the spring, I took one of them camping with my class. Well, now they're out of control. Like seriously, <laughs> I mean, I mean, like seriously, they're out of control. They, they camp like crazy with their students. They do all like they, they do things way beyond what I would do. And that's, that's awesome. I mean, it's just like, and all, I didn't do much. Right. I didn't even really teach them much as we were doing the camping trips. It was just that having that experienced hand that wasn't that had the things, the bases covered to sort of show the way and show how easy it is and how not stressful it can be opens doors. And so basically, that's sort of my goal now is to just spend the rest of my career or as much time as possible, opening as many doors for as many different people as possible. And running off kind of that vein, Chris, um, I'm wondering if you think it's at all attainable, like you said that uh, if someone tries something different, like going outside, um, and it doesn't work, then they feel like it's their fault. Mm -hmm. Do you see it being attainable for, um, for that not to be different? Like for outdoor education, maybe in Saskatchewan, maybe in Canada, to not be a different, like different thinking or different learning uh, way, way to go. Well, and that's, and that's an interesting question, right? And that's kind of what I'm seeing. It, it was funny because when this whole COVID thing hit back in March and we were seeing the long-term effects of it and the long-term possible effects on how education gets delivered, I turned into a curmudgeonly old grouch, right? It was like, <laughs> oh, you know, my, pedag <laughs> I mean, my gym blast pedagogy, my relationship, my team building, and all these things are going out the window. And I'm just like, oh, we're going 20 years, 30 years into the back. And, oh, it's going to take forever to get back just to where we are instead of looking at the opportunities. And it's just been in the last month that all of a sudden my, I don't know, I mean, when you get old, you just, it just takes you a little bit longer to get, you need to be kicked upside the head to really start thinking what's, what, what the possibilities are. Mm -hmm. And in the last month, I've been seeing nothing but possibility now as far mm -hmm. as exactly what you're saying, Heather. We could, it is really attainable now because it's, it's a better way to, I mean, it's always been a better way. But right. now it's in the news even, right? It's even in the news like all across the country in different provinces and CBC and all this sort of stuff about the fact that outdoor learning is just a safer environment ventilation-wise, breathing-wise. You know, it's easier to go mass-free outside, you know, all those things. And so who knows, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there yeah. certainly has been a much, there's been a greater amount of interest in outdoor learning in the last two weeks than I've seen in years. Mm -hmm. Even like my mom's talked about, she's driving around Saskatoon and every school yard she goes by, there's multiple classes outside where I think if you would have rewound that to last September, you would not have seen that no, at all. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Very yeah. True. Like it's awesome. Like it's totally awesome. I mean, it's, I mean, it's funny when schools now are talking about the fact that, well, one of our problems might be that we have to book outdoor spaces. I'm like, well, that's a great problem to have. <laughs> <laughs> A teacher said to me the other day that being outside was too distracting for her students. 
Mm. And that she wasn't going to take them outside again until she had basically that entire hour or that entire day planned so that there was no time for distractions. Now, I like from my limited amount of research, I know that that doesn't necessarily hold up, but it could be a perception. And I'm guessing that you've done a lot, or not guessing, I know that you've done a lot more research than I have. So I'm wondering what you might have to say to this teacher or to anyone who might have that misconception. Well, it's, it, is, it is a fascinating thing. In fact, one of the, one of the studies that I came across, and my, I loved it because basically it was a big two study in the UK. And basically it was the UK government. It was a commissioned report and whatever else about outdoor learning because the UK has forest schools and all sorts of other outdoor learning experiences. And one of the big, and they were basically the whole study was about academic achievement and did it make any difference in their students? And of course, in the end, yes, it did. I mean, there was all sorts of different things with academic achievement that, you know, students that were engaged in experiential outdoor learning had higher retention, you know, more focused behavior, you know, longer, longer term retention and all those sorts of things. But it was funny because the teacher's biggest concern was behavior. So the teachers were all like, well, you know, we're a little concerned that the kids won't behave and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And so, okay, after the whole thing was over, they asked the teachers, so how'd it turn out? And the teachers were like, oh, the kids were awesome. No, like, I don't know why we thought about behavior was going to be a problem. There was no behavior problem at all. And so the researchers, just out of curiosity, asked the kids, you know, so did your behavior change? And the kids were like, nah, the teachers (laughs) changed. And they just said that. We didn't change at all. We were behaving the exact same way. The teachers just stopped basically having those same you know, limited expectations that we quite often have in the classroom. And it's, and, and so basically the kids just kept doing their own same thing, but the teachers stopped getting uptight over many little behaviors because it didn't mm-hmm. matter as much when you're outdoors. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that one was hilarious. But one of the things that happens is, I mean, yes, I mean, it's, it's like anything about kids that have difficulty with focusing or ADHD students or all, and there's lots of research about that as well right? That basically, oh, they're distracted or whatever. Well, okay. So, and quite often, what is our solution? What is our solution for kids that are distracted in the classroom? Well, we close the windows or we pull the blinds or mm-hmm. we, we create this sterile prison-like environment and there, they're not distracted anymore. Well, first of all, just because they don't look distracted, oh, they're distracted, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's the old age old thing about perception versus reality. Mm-hmm. If we are looking at a kid who's you know, basically looking studious and is quiet. We assume that, okay, they're, they're focused and they're doing what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. We have no clue, right? We don't know what's going on inside there. And a lot of research goes to show that, you know, those kids are just putting on a good show. They, they know how to play the game and they're mm-hmm. not paying attention at all. Anyway. You lost them from the minute you started talking. Mm-hmm. Whereas you go outside, they don't look like they're paying attention, but all of their needs are being met. All their needs for different things to look at, different smells, different feels, different, you know, healthier air, sunshine, you know, nature. And they are paying attention, right? I mean, ask them questions and find out. And if they're not, then it's possible that you need to change the activity into something that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the things that, I mean, Derek and I had talked a few weeks ago about the whole term affordances. And basically... What an affordance is, is what does that environment sort of allow to take place naturally? Like what's, what's something that's available in that environment that is not necessarily available in other environments? And the outdoor learning environment has lots of affordances. And one of the things that's, I mean, it's, it's more physical. Like you can't, that's a classic example. Like, you know, you go outdoors, you're naturally just going to be more physical. 
kids are going to be more tired by the end of it. And you, and you'll say, well, we didn't even do anything. We didn't play a game. We didn't go running. We didn't go walking. Yeah. But you just, just being in the outdoors, you, you naturally move around there. Mm-hmm. There's lots of different things that you end up doing and without even trying you're physical. Whereas that's not very, po- in fact, it's, it's the whole thing about body breaks. It's not as possible in an inside classroom. The inside classroom is not naturally physical. In fact, it's naturally anti-physical. And so that's why we take these body breaks. Well, you don't have to take a body break when you're outside because just getting up and coming and talk to the teacher and just going back and sitting down and, you know, you can roll around. It was like when I did one of the PD sessions, by the end of the PD session outside, I asked the teachers, I said, look at yourselves. And they were, they were like a bunch of two-year-olds. They were all lying down over here and lying down over there, stretched out over here, rolling down the hill over here. They were doing all sorts of things and they were totally relaxed Uh and totally just into it and happy and that's what the outdoor environment brings you. But what's interesting about the affordances is they naturally happen, but they can't make things happen, right? You, you, as a teacher, you can actually interfere in those affordances. It's hard work, but some teachers are quite successful at blocking the affordances. Um, I mean, one of the, one of the affordances is it's just more relational and collaborative. You just naturally more talk more and you, and you can talk loud and you can talk to each other. And that's just because the outdoor, usually typically teachers aren't trying to control noise levels outside as much because you're not bothering any other classrooms. We're outside. We're not walking down the halls, bugging the the secretary or bugging the librarian or bugging other classrooms as we pass them because we're outside. Mm -hmm. So it's just naturally more relational and collaborative. But as a teacher, if you work hard enough, and some do, you can block or be a barrier to those affordances. And not working within the environment and not being willing to let the environment do its thing, well, you you could have difficulties. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like, I remember the first, I mean, quite often when I take teachers for their first camping trip, um, they plan it all and they get it all figured out. And they bring to me, they bring this very detailed time schedule. And I'm like, what's that? Well, this is what we're going to do. I'm like... <laughs> Uh, let's just, let's just erase all the times (laughs) and let's just have this list of things we want to try to accomplish. And if we get to them, we get to them, Mm -hmm. right. As compared to nitpicking right down to the last five minutes about, then they were going to do this. And then, well, you might get to that by that point in time, but that's one of the best things about being outdoors is that the clock no longer matters. We're not Mm -hmm. tied to a clock. We're not tied to a schedule. Um, and things that are naturally taking place can actually be continued. It can be allowed to continue to take place. So if something mm-hmm. as awesome is happening, we'll let it happen. Yeah. You don't have to get in its way. You don't have to say, oh, the period is over. Let's end it now. Even like that's something even like, uh, like what we might often have doubles at our school where you'd have the same right. teacher, but there'd be that, you know, the bell of five minutes and a bell. And even that, you know, can kill the flow mm-hmm. of what's happening. But when you're away and you don't have the bells, that flow can continue. So, well, and that was one of my favorite parts about, you know, basically taking my students even again on an excursion, at least for the day away from the school. As soon as we go away from the school, recess issues gone. Recess happens. I mean, we're all, we're, 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 we're at the park all day. Lunch issues gone, right? Behavior issues gone. Cause we're just, we're at this place. We're here all day. We're not tied to a clock. We're not tied to bells. We're not tied to, you know, some of the the issues that take place with all those different things. They're just not existent. Whereas when you're tied to a school day, yeah, you get, you get some things. So right now, Chris, we're thinking that some, some teachers who are uh, 
teaching in the world of COVID uh, might be looking for some tips on how to get their students outdoors. And they mm-hmm. might be tied to the bell schedule as much as they wish they weren't. So for example, Absolutely. like I, I'm teaching English language arts this semester and we do have block classes. So I have a two hour chunk now instead of a one hour chunk. Um, but I still have to be within the confines of those bills. So do you have any any recommendations of like where to start or um, what kind of mindset to be in for for these teachers who are still tied to a bell? Absolutely. Well, and, and a mindset is really what it comes down to. And, and starting points is one of the things that I've been working on big time lately, because again, exactly that, right? <clears throat> There's a whole bunch of teachers who are hearing about outdoor learning. Um, they are interested in outdoor learning, but they don't have, it's like, well, do you just start with a big excursion? It's like, no, no. I mean, you can, but you're probably going to fail and you aren't going to be happy with that. And your students aren't going to be happy with that. And unfortunately, I mean, one of the sayings that I say all the time to teachers is a don't be frustrated with failure, right? It's going to happen. And it's really unfortunate when a teacher decides, and this is with any kind of pedagogy, right? Is when a teacher decides to throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's like, well, I tried it once. It didn't work. Forget it. It's never going to work. I'm done, right? Well, whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, failure is a fact of life. On the other hand, don't be satisfied with success. So when you do do something and and you do a little something, right? And it works really well. Great. Do it again tomorrow, right? But eventually push it. In fact, well, and, and I'm really bad at, I mean, I'm really bad at this because I push it until it fails. I mean, my goal, my goal is always, let's see how far I can go. Here we go. <laughs> and it's like, well, you know, you don't necessarily have to do that, but don't be satisfied with success. If you've done it for a little bit, try some more, try some more. And starting points, like I've said to most of the teachers that I'm working with now is it's like literally, and again, a two hour block. Are you in a high school, Heather? Yes, I am. Yeah. I mean, a high school is a little bit different, but not much, right? In the sense that Grab 15 minutes and just like an elementary teacher, we have recess. So I'm, so I'm telling most of my teachers, go outside 15 minutes before the recess starts. Mm. Just that. That's, don't do anything else. And don't even try to accomplish anything. Don't even necessarily go outside and say, we're going to get English language arts done. We're going to get math. And no, just go outside and play, right? Have a little extra play time just with you and your class and see how that works. And then try going outside 20 minutes earlier Right. Or, and then after recess, stay outside for 15 more minutes. In fact, stay outside and have a discussion about what you're going to do in the next class. You're all heading back inside. You've got a bunch of pen and paperwork to do, whether it's math, whether it's writing, whether it's social studies, whatever it might be. We'll stay outside and do your discussion and question stuff outside in a socially distant circle, masks off. You're far enough apart from each other. You can have a mask break. Kids can ask questions. Kids can, you can all figure it out. And then it's like, okay, let's go inside now and do it. Right. And mm-hmm. so now we're back inside. So those little tiny things give you a little bit of practice. And yeah, sometimes it'll work great. I mean, one of our uh, primary teachers, she was really, fr- she was trying to get outside all day, but the kids just weren't there. And, she, and we had talked during recess time and she was frustrated with them and frustrated with the situation. And then all of a sudden at the end of the day, she came out 15 minutes before the end of the day and they all had their backpacks. And they were all in a circle and it was perfect, right? She just grabbed, she's like, I think we can do it now. And she just grabbed this time and out they are, they're, they're all sitting in a socially distant circle. And I think she was just reading the book. She was doing a read aloud, and, but she was doing it outside. Absolutely. So the kids start to practice some of those structures that they're going to need to be successful from a safety point of view and from a getting the work done point of view in an easy, non-threatening, not a difficult thing to do. And that's what I'm suggesting to teachers right now is don't, don't try and go for the big thing. Don't jump into the deep end. 
Mm -hmm. right? Start small, start something really manageable that you can practice your structures. And, you know, the younger they are, sometimes you have to practice those structures some more, but it also helps if the whole school's kind of working together on this. Like right now I'm, I'm a halftime phys ed teacher release, right? It's perfect. It's a perfect spot. Perfect. Condition, let me tell you. <laughs> this is my semi-retired life. Right. And I, and I teach primarily the primary kids. And after being a high school middle years teacher for basically most of my career, I'm just loving the life. And so I'm, I'm doing it all outdoors. And so I'm, one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm working on structures. I'm working on structures for the whole school. And so all these kids are getting practiced at structures of walking outside. You know, how do we go for a hike? How do we sit in a circle? How do we practice this? How do we do that? How do, and how are we safe? What are, what are our call-in gathering in structures? All those things. I'm doing all that with basically almost the entire school. So it's being practiced for the whole school. And so mm-hmm. the teachers can just grab that structure and just, kids already know it, right? Because they do it in phys ed all the time. And they can just use it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things, like figuring out those structures to move from from outside being a recess place, like outside being mm-hmm. just a place of play to, okay, outside is also a place of learning. You know, we, we are going to be learning out here. We're not just, we're not just going outside to mess around. You know, we're going outside to accomplish something eventually and trying to think about, okay, what do those structures need to be to get into place to make that as efficient as possible? Well, and, and that's the thing. I mean, and it's no different than in the classroom. In the classroom, you have structures as well. Mm-hmm. It's just that you have in the classroom, you have this, I'll call it perception of control, right? Because you've got, and I'll, and I'll use the word perception very deliberately, um, mainly because we have these four walls and a door. And so those four walls and a door mean that it's a very confined space. It's, it's harder for a kid to, you know, to be separated from the group. And so outdoors, you have to build those structures. You have to actually teach your kids independence, right? They don't learn as much independence. I mean, again, that's not another affordance, right? Being outdoors, kids naturally learn independence. And sometimes they're successful at it and sometimes they're not successful. I mean, learning is about failing, right? And so when, when someone says, well, they're not doing very good, well, they're still learning. <laughs> they're still learning independence. They're just not succeeding at it. That doesn't mean they're not learning it, right? I mean, natural consequences and all those sorts of things. And so again, it's the age old thing too about not being frustrated with failure. If a kid, and it, it's, it's like with teachers that, you know, a kid is a misbehaving kid or has difficulty behaving or difficulty control or whatever else. And so they don't take him or her on the field trip. That's the kid that needs to go on the field trip, mm-hmm. right? That's the kid that... Basically, I mean, I, I've had some very challenging children in my past, students in my past, and their best place was when we were out of the school. They were my most, you know, well-behaved, in control. They were leading the groups half the time because this was this worked for them. This environment, the, the place they didn't like, the place that brought bad feelings in them was the school. Outside, none of that was there. And so those are the kids that need that. And it's really unfortunate when a teacher doesn't take advantage of that affordance. So you mentioned uh, like a teacher taking their students outside to do uh, just like a read aloud at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Um, I see some, you know, some kind of quick and easy, you know, silent reading or something, take your kids outside for that or some, you could do some writing pretty easily outside. Is there, uh, I, I know something that I've heard like, English is easy, but I don't know. Like, how would how would you approach a math outside or something oh, like that? I love that's math a question outside. that I get. That oh, I would, I love I would think outside. that people would have a hard time with. No, I mean that's the thing, right? I mean, for that, all, all, all I need is some sidewalk chalk and measuring tapes. I can do the entire grade eight math curriculum, which inclu- <laughs> and including including <laughs> kindergarten up, right? I mean, basically, 
there's so much real stuff to measure and do math with outside, whether it's grade one and just counting the number of branches on a tree, right? And just practicing our numbers. There's real things to count and real things to measure. I mean, and, and again, it's the age old thing too, or for me anyway, everyone should learn how to use a measuring tape, not a ruler, a measuring tape, a measuring tape with inches and metric system, both of them on there. And it's kind of funny. Oh, we don't want to learn inches. Well, if you're building a house, you're still using inches and feet. Hate to break it to you. And fractions, <laughs> natural fractions. My kids that couldn't do fractions at all, couldn't do fraction math, give them a measuring tape and they figure out inches and inch and an eighth and an inch and a half. Next thing you know, they're doing fraction math and they don't even, and they don't even know they're doing fraction math and they're doing it. And then of course, if you put it on a piece of paper and it's just a fraction, they can't do it. I can't do that. Well, here's a measuring tape. Oh, I can do that. Right. Because it's real life and measuring actual trees, measuring actual playground objects. You know, basically all my circle math was just a bunch of drawn sidewalk chalk circles. I've got some beautiful pictures of us at the university campus, actually drawing circles all over the place with radiuses and diameters and pi and, and these university students walking by going, how come we didn't do that when we were in grade eight? And it's like, hmm, I guess, I don't know. So yeah, no, math, math is one of the easiest things. I, I love doing math outside. Well, and it's one of those things. So the other question I get quite often right now, and it's yeah. really kind of funny is because we're Saskatchewan. So it's like, well, well what are we going to do in January? Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, or so, November or whatever. Or November. Yeah. Exactly. Well, automatically I have lots of, I mean, I have a whole litany of answers to that one. Like step one, step two, step three, step four. First of all, it's September. Stop worrying about January. Like seriously. <laughs> I mean, it, we're, we're infamous, especially Saskatchewan people, right? But we're, I mean, even teachers, right? We're infamous for looking at the whole year and going, yes, but this won't work for the whole year. Well, first of all, it's September. Who cares? Right? Enjoy September. Enjoy September. Like Friday, it was plus 29. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. I actually had to worry about heat stroke with my students. We actually had to go find shaded trees to play under because it was mm -hmm. that hot. And then of course, I mean, the first day of school, Tuesday, it was cold, right? Mm -hmm. But we were outside all day. That's Saskatchewan, right? It's, it's beautiful right now. And we might get an early winter, right? But who cares? Like if you, if basically as a teacher, you only went outside September, October, April, May, June right? Because those are typically the, the most reasonable weather months. So that's five months. If you only go outside for five months, wow, you just went outside for half the year. Mm -hmm. Good job, right? Thank you very much. Yeah. You've, you've, you've done it. You've gone outside for half the year. I'm pretty sure that's way more than you went outside last time, yeah. right? So <laughs> enjoy it and reap the benefits, yeah. right? And you'll roll into May and June, you know, and, 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 and of course it'll be really awesome because you do September, October. And then if you're inside November, December, January, February, March, all of a sudden you go back outside in April and the kids will be like, oh yeah, we're back outside. And by the time June comes around, you're just doing unbelievable, crazy things. Five months, but it's also Saskatchewan. So all of a sudden you go outside in September and then you go outside in October. And then, yeah, by the end of October, it's a little colder and everyone's getting dressed for it. So now you go outside in November, right? Because we basically, we're, we slowly get used to things and we're dressing for it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden you find yourself out there in January. Well, how do we get out here in January? Because you got used to it. Your kids got used. To it. it was a habit. You formed a habit. Mm -hmm. You kept going outside. You told them that it was an expectation. That's what I've told mine. Like I've told mine that, you know, if you dress up in your dressy up clothes and your dressy up shoes, sorry, like we're going outside as a phys ed teacher. I am going making it my goal this year to spend as few days. If I can make it zero, I'll be happy inside period <laughs> all year. And they know me and they're all looking at me like, okay. And I'm like, yeah, minus 25 in January, we're going outside, get ready for it. Mm -hmm. And then from a COVID perspective, January comes along. All of our kids are wearing hazmat suits, 
Like, holy smokes, we should totally be outside. They're going to be wearing scarves and mitts and toques and balaclavas. and I mean, we can do the most crazy things we want because they're wearing hazmat suits. They can touch each other. They can hug each other. They can do whatever because they're completely protected from doing any kind of cross-contamination. Yeah. So... I mean, that's, I mean, I, I hope that reassures people. I mean, because again, quite often people do, they do, they get a little uptight over our winter, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, it's like last year, um, teaching phys ed, I had the kindergarten kids right after recess and I was on recess supervision and it happened, it was, a, it was a, lots of snow, it was in the middle of January and it was a little bit of a warmer day. So the snow, that sun was just starting to get to that, you know, the, the, the potential spring, you know, a little heat and whatever else. And the snow was a little sticky. So I told all the kindergarten kids, don't like when the bell goes, come see me. We're going to just stay outside for that. We spent the whole half an hour building an entire village of snowmen. Mm-hmm. Like they were just rolling snowmen. And, we, and they were making, I had to keep coming over and pick them up. because They make these big, huge snowballs. I'm like, Chris, come over and help us pick this up. And they were making like finding twigs and making hair. We had a whole village of snowmen. And it was nothing yeah. but joyful glee. I have never been that happy in my entire life. Like I actually walked in and thanked my principal for giving me this opportunity afterwards. She was like, oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm like, I, I think the kids did too. I even thanked the kindergarten teacher. Because I was just like, this was awesome. This was yeah. nothing but half an hour. Of, and you couldn't do that. I, I mean, I'm sure the kindergarten teacher gets that same kind of happiness and glee in the classroom. And I get fun in the gym too. But that level of joy yeah. was only, it was an affordance of the outdoors. Yeah. Well, Chris, Derek, uh, Derek promised you that we would um, kind of end. We have a few more questions for you, but one of the questions we'd like to end with is if you could change one thing in the world, what would it be? Yeah, what it comes down to is, I mean, I guess from an outdoor learning perspective is it comes down to removing as many barriers as possible, right? And some of the barriers are more perceived than real um we we are human beings are great at putting barriers on ourselves you know if there's not enough if there's not enough limitations we'll put them on ourselves and so more often than not it's just a matter of you know helping people realize that those aren't barriers right i mean i mean for me i mean classic example i was looking at this whole COVID thing like a barrier i mean for me for the last six months i've been just in a big funk and it's just been in this last month that all of a sudden it's been like, wait a minute, this is an opportunity. This isn't a barrier. This is this is a door opener for me and all the things I'm going to do with my PhD and, and helping people with outdoor learning. So it's mm-hmm. just a matter of really, right. you know, just helping people realize that, you know, the perceptions that we have aren't necessarily true. Mm-hmm. Very like good. That. Yeah. I like that. We also want to ask you, what would be your favorite place to adventure in, uh, to go to adventure in Saskatchewan? To adventure in Saskatchewan? Oh, yeah. Mississippi. Mississippi uh-huh. to Nistoyak. I haven't been up there for a while lately, just because, again, you know, with the uh, kid, my own kids just growing up, whatever else. I mean, I've taken them on a few canoe trips, but we haven't had a chance to get back up there. I mean, I used to go up there all the time with, you know, st- former students when they were, became adults. And even, well, even your class. Was it your class, Derek? Or was it my your brothers. sister's? It was your what was your brother's class? That's yeah. right. Um, when we decided to do the big, huge excursion, whatever else. And then, so I haven't, haven't been up there for a while and I need to get back up there. Just being able to canoe past actual Precambrian shield, you know, and camp on islands right in the middle of the river system and in the, in the lake systems was, it was some pretty awesome stuff. Well, you said you have teenagers, right? Yeah. Maybe that'd be a nice grad present for them. Take them. Yeah, exactly. Okay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Is there uh, anything else you want to 
You want to add in anything else we missed in this conversation? Well, no, but just basically, I mean, I don't know what your contact stuff is like and whatever else, but I mean, if anyone would like help would, and it can just be conversations, right. Or would like some support. Um, I, my goal is to support as many people as possible. It's part of my PhD research group that I'm forming and whatever else is the whole idea of just, and, and understanding that any level of leaving the school and going outdoors is outdoor learning, right? It enables outdoor learning to take place. Mm-hmm. It does not have to be, um, all the big fancy terms that we use. It does not have to be an overnight trip. It does not have to be an hour long excursion outdoors even, right? It doesn't have to have a bunch of equipment. It doesn't have to have, you know, safety gear and all these sorts of things. It can just literally be going outside, find a tree, sit underneath that tree, and you are reaping almost all of the rewards of outdoor learning right there. Your kids are getting it. As a teacher, you're getting it. I mean, the research and the impacts are just too numerous to go through. I mean, we didn't even scratch the surface of all the different things that being outdoors and learning in the outdoors does health-wise, academic-wise, behavior-wise, you know, relationship-wise, et cetera. cetera. It just goes on and on forever. So if anyone also, if anyone's experiencing pushback, right, they're doing it. And of course, oh, your kids are just having a bunch of fun. What is that? Well, heaven forbid that learning be fun, you know, like, oh, (laughs) forgive me. But if you're getting pushback from parents, administration, (laughs) other people, whatever else, oh, I've got the research. If they're going, how is this supported by research? I've got the research. We can shut that down real fast. I got it. I'm more than willing to share it and help people out. So how would would people maybe connect with you or learn more about your work or where can we point them? Well, the best place probably is the website. So the website is engagedstudent.weebly.com and it's en like engaged as in engaged youth or whatever else so engagedstudent.weebly.com and i don't know if you put stuff in the notes in these podcasts yeah there you go and then there, i mean basically that has all all my research from my phd and even my master's as far as engagement and outdoor learning and all stuff and i just keep i, I use it as sort of a repository a dump to dump stuff in and share it with uh teachers and whatever else so they can access. And actually a lot of the research around, you know, impacts and affordances are all on that website. Yeah. I mean, you've got a whole section on outdoor learning with impacts and starting yep. points and activities and even bibliography if people want to dive in a little deeper on their own, yep. probably. Awesome. Thank you so much for giving up part of your evening tonight, Chris. It was really nice to meet you. I had heard from a few people that you were going to be <laughs> quite the guest to have. And I agree <laughs> that it feels like we we didn't even scratch the surface of a lot of stuff. I think you have a lot more to say. And I, I could learn a lot more from you if we had longer than 45 minutes. <laughs> well, like like Derek talks about, if you put me on a soapbox, I'm more than willing to soapbox. <laughs> uh, especially, especially about outdoor learning or engaged students. That's for yeah. sure. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Well, Heather, that was a fantastic conversation with Chris. Lots of things to think about. Uh, are there any big takeaways that that uh, you're walking away with here tonight? Yeah, I always love hearing from, uh, I would consider them expert teachers, that you don't have to do everything perfectly or like extravagantly when it comes to outdoor learning in order to be successful. So Chris told told us that, you know what, if you just go outside and you don't actually have a plan for being outside for 15 minutes, that that's okay. They're learning and maybe yeah. it's just learning structure or just learning, learning independence or other life skills. Yeah, totally. I think that's like one of the, um, 
biggest, you talked about perceived barriers as well about being like, if I'm going to do outdoor education, if I'm going to take my kids out to side for outdoor learning, it's got to be all this crazy stuff where really it doesn't really need to be. It could be go outside right. with your books for 15 minutes or yes, we're going to go outside and find a leaf and describe it, like write down what you see, you know, do some observations in the schoolyard. It could be, you don't have to leave or get permission forms probably if you're just in the yard. Right. So it's, it it could be easier uh, than you think it could be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree. Are there any uh, actions that, uh, that uh, you'd take after listening today? Anything that you want to try from today? Actually? Yes. Basically I just needed his, um, reassurance to get my grade 11 and 12 ELA classes outside. I think what I'm going to do is look at the forecast for the next few weeks. And if it's, and if it's not crazy windy or really, really rainy, I'm going to say, okay, come prepared. We're going to do our 20 minutes of silent reading outside every day. Yeah. Awesome. Find a spot. Mm -hmm. I, I brought like my kids were all complaining about it's wet or it's like, uh, um, they couldn't find a spot or it was rocky outside. So right. I went to Home Depot and I cut about like ducting uh, insulation. I don't know. It's like real thin. It's silver. So I cut them each like a 12 by 16 inch square. I was like, there we go. Each of us have a chair. <laughs> it cost me like a dollar each. Yeah, <laughs> that's fantastic. We have our outside seats and you can write your names on it and tag them however you want. And then we're right. good to go. So, um, yeah, I think uh, I love that. Just get outside for a little bit of the day as mm-hmm. much as you can, as long as it's not terrible. Exactly. So, awesome. Well, uh, if you enjoyed this podcast, uh, please you know share it with a friend. It's a great way to help us get the message out there a little bit more. Uh, subscribe, like, give us a rating uh, and maybe uh, some feedback there on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is produced in association with Sask Outdoors. Check us out online at saskoutdoors.org.